Um, victory in Exodus. We're going to start um, and we're just going to work our way through the book of Exodus, but we're looking at it specifically through the lens of the victorious Christian life. Now, most people would say, well, if you're going to talk about a victorious Christian life, why don't you, why don't you work out of the book of Joshua? Well, that's a great place to talk about the victorious Christian life, but Joshua doesn't happen, the book of Joshua doesn't happen without the Exodus, right? You can't live, you can't enter into the victorious Christian life until you remove yourself, distance yourself, separate yourself from the, the constraints of the world, uh, and that we're going to see in great picture through the book of Exodus. And it starts right out of the gate. I mean, it starts right out of the gate. Now, I put down here in the footer, I will sing unto the Lord, for he had triumphed gloriously. That is a reference uh, both in, in Exodus 15, 1 and 15, 21 out of the Song of Moses. I will sing unto the Lord for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he hath thrown into the sea. You may or may not remember that. But, you know, spoiler alert, all victory that we're going to look look at in our, in our study of the book of Exodus is, is really the Lord's victory right? We get to partake. We get to, to enjoy the, the benefit of that victory, but the victory truly is the Lord. So uh, our, our passage here, Exodus 1, I'm not going to read the entire passage. It really kind of goes from verse 1 to verse 14, but we're going to focus on verses 7 through 12. And the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly and multiplied and waxed exceeding mighty. And the land was filled with them. Now there arose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. And he said unto his people, Behold, the people of the children of Israel are more, uh, more and mightier than we. Come on, let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply. And it come to pass that when, they, when there falleth out any war, they join also unto our enemies and fight against us. And so get them up out of the land. Therefore, they did set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens. And they built for Moses, Pharaoh, uh, I'm sorry, built for Pharaoh treasure cities, Python and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew and were grieved because of the children of Israel. Lord, we do again just uh, set aside this time. We ask you bless it. Uh, we, we thank you for your word and the Holy Spirit that teaches it. In Jesus' name, amen. So, how long had Israel been in Egypt? Well, a long time. They were been there years, 430 years, according to this, uh, according to Exodus chapter 12, um, and specifically 40, verses 40 and 41. Now, the sojourning of the children of Israel who dwelt in Egypt was 430 years. And it came to pass at the end of 430 years, just in case you didn't catch it, even the selfsame day, it came to pass that all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. So they were there a total of 430 years. Now, we're not going to spend a lot of time today doing the math of how long, because Moses, remember, he was like 40, and then he went off for 40 years and came back. And so there was a lot of, there's like phases of Moses' life that, that fit into this. But it's, so, but it's easy to, to assume or presume that a few generations had passed, right? 400 years ago, like I don't, I've not done the genealogy type thing. There was a, a show on a few years ago called Who Do You Think You Are? I don't know anybody ever watched that. And it was, a celebra- it was about celebrities, and they would do a genealogy of the celebrity back a few generations to kind of get their 
so so for what it's worth, Tim McGraw and I are cousins, uh, like like super duper distant cousins, but we share a, a common ancestor, right? And um, I thought that w- I thought you all would be more excited than that, honestly. Um, so, I mean, that that was kind of the high point of the message. All right. Now, does the beard look better? Do you think I can sing? Um, but but. They only went back like a handful of generations, like five generations, and it was all the way back to like, you know, uh, Revolutionary War days, you know, frontier expansion of the U.S., you know, kind of thing. It wasn't, I don't remember how many generations, but my point is that was a couple hundred years ago. 400 years allows for, 430 years allows for many generations, right? Now, it's interesting here because there are other places where it says the nation of Egypt, and I, I grabbed a water bottle, and I think I said, oh, no, I said it right here, um, that says in Genesis fifteen thirteen, and he said unto Abram, know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in the land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them 400 years. Apparent contradiction. Those of you who have been coming long enough know I don't believe there are any contradictions in the scripture. Acts 7, 6 says, And God spake on this wise, that the seed should sojourn in a strange land, and that they should bring them into bondage and entreat them evil 400 <laughs> years. So the time that Israel was in Egypt versus the time that they were under bondage is a different timeline. 430, 400 years. Okay? Some people try to make that a bigger deal than it is. Basically... If you remember the story, Joseph's there. There's famine. They bring he brings uh, Jacob, his father, and the brothers come. Right. That's actually if you have your scripture open, open in, in passage in Exodus just before it, it describes who was there. So it's okay that there are two accounts. The accounts talk about both the length of time Israel the, and the children of Israel were there versus the time that they were afflicted. We'll, know, we'll need to see more about that in just a minute because this is where the affliction begins, right? So the children of Israel were multiplying, right? So Israel, and actually go ahead and, and, and turn there. Well, I need to turn there. I had it in my notes. But in Exodus chapter 1 and start back up at the beginning of the chapter, Exodus chapter 1. Now these are the names of the children of Israel which came into Egypt. Every man in his household came with Jacob. And then the the brothers are listed, right? And notice in verse 5, And all the souls that came out of the loins of Jacob were 70 souls, for Joseph was in Egypt already. And Joseph died and all his brethren and all that generation. So scripture is pretty clear. This is there for a reason. Joseph and his brothers, Jacob obviously had died before. We saw that in Genesis. Joseph and his brothers all die. So that puts a 59, if I did my math right, 70 minus 12, but Joseph was already in Egypt. 59 souls that came um, came into Egypt with Jacob. Okay? Are you guys tracking so far? This number isn't super critical, but... But it is kind of important, right? So 70 minus 11, 59. So 59 grandkids. Maybe it would even include the wives, but it specifically says these were the souls that came out of the loins of Jacob. In essence, kind of the seeds. So it probably wouldn't be the wives of the children of Israel. Uh, the, the, 
the heads of the tribes, right? But but the point is, you got about fifty nine, or you got about seventy people that are starting that are that identify as Israel, children of Israel. So the land, in, according to verse seven, was filled with them, and the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly and multiplied and waxed exceeding mighty, and the land was filled with them. It's kind of an interesting way to refer to a group of people, right? that the land was filled with them, but them filled the land. So based on six generations, if you take the same number that each, each of the 12 tribes had about five kids, because that's the five, if you take the 59 and divide it by the 12, we don't, that's not, just bear with me. (laughs) If you do the generations, in six generations, you end up with 1.4, almost 1.4 million people. You can end up with that many people that quickly, which actually is going to align because in Exodus chapter 12, if you look over at Exodus chapter 12 real quick, this isn't, uh, I was going to say it's not in your notes because, well, nothing's in your notes uh, today, but normally we have that handout and I spent a lot of time doing it because it was the first week and feel kind of bad now but um exodus chapter 12 and verse 37 it says and the children of israel so uh, uh journeyed from ramses to succoth about six hundred thousand on foot that were men besides children okay and wives so so they're they're a great and mighty numbered people at this point and you can kind of see why the Pharaoh would be like, there's a lot of them. If an invasion comes in and they feel like they've got a raw deal and we don't have good control of them, they're going to jump ship and fight against us. And then now uh, they, well, we'll talk more about that. I, I'm tipping my hand here a little bit. So, so there was a new king who didn't know Joseph. Now, no, in this context just means he wasn't acquainted with. He didn't know Joseph, right? Joseph is dead. Joseph died. <coughs> I'm going to... Okay, quiz time. If you know the answer to this question, I want you to raise your hand. Don't blurt it out, okay? What do all of these five men have in common? John Nance Garner, James Sherman, Garrett Hobart, John Breckenridge. This might t- tip it. Nelson Rockefeller. Tim? Entrepreneurs? No. No? They were all vice presidents of the United States of America. A a Nelson Rockefeller. I didn't know that. I did not know that. But you didn't know any of those. Quick. Who was the vice president 30 years ago? Dan Quayle. Good job. (laughs) (laughs) Quick. How do you spell potato? Wait, quick. How do you spell potato? Um... Some of you remember that. Okay, so Joseph probably outlived the Pharaoh that he was under, but there came a point where the new Pharaoh came in and like didn't care about Joseph. Like the party changed, you know, like it went goes from Democrat to Republican and they don't, you know, they don't often it's kind of a big deal if you're in a position, an appointed position and you can can maintain that position through both political parties. In the US, if you're 
if you're like the head of Medicare, you're the head of the Treasury or something, and you're viewed as unbiased and good enough at your job that you retain that past a change of control, that's a big deal. Like that means you really are respected by both sides of the aisle, right? Well, eventually, I mean, pharaohs don't even roll that way. So a pharaoh could have even been, could have even replaced Joseph's position with family, with their own family, right? He was the number two guy in the, in the kingdom. So the, and the problems, the famine of 30 years ago, given this affliction versus time, is ancient history at that point. It, I, I know it kind of doesn't seem like, I feel like 80s songs are still relevant today, but they were 40 years ago, right? <laughs> right? I mean, it just seems weird to me. But the problems of 30 years ago are long in the rearview mirror for the pharaoh. So whatever Joseph did and his people did to save, like it's, it, it's I don't want to say it's meaningless, but it's history. So there's a struggle. So that was the situation. Every week, I should have said this before, every week we'll talk about the situation, we'll talk about the struggle, and then ultimately we'll talk about the victory. But the, t- the struggle here is they had a testimony of, of strength. That was actually part of the problem right, was that they were multiplying, they were getting bigger, they were getting, they were growing, and they were seen as a risk. They were seen as a liability. Genesis 48, 4 says, behold, I will make thee fruitful and multiply thee. So that was even a blessing from the Lord, like the Lord promised that Israel in Egypt was going to keep growing. Uh, Psalm 105, 24, looking back, and he increased his people greatly, and he made them stronger than their enemies. Uh, Acts 7, even in reference in the New Testament. And when the time of the promise drew nigh, which God had sworn to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt. Like God was blessing the nation of Israel in Egypt as they were growing. So God will bless you. God will grow you. God will multiply you, maybe multiply your ministry. And what is that? Well, that's going to be an attack on the enemy. They're not going to like that. The enemy is not going to like that. They, I know it sounds strange, but they literally get mad about it. They get mad that you're doing well. They get mad that you've got your life in order. They get mad that you, you know, manage a, a, a bad diagnosis and give glory to God. They, they, that, that a bad situation happens at work and you don't lose your head and, and you, stay, you say, you know, clear with it and you you continue to be a blessing they don't like that because you're reminding them of what they don't have okay and that's part of the 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 problem here is the struggle is that the testimony of strength in israel is an affront to the way the egypt egyptians are living they're not multiplying like this god's not blessing them the same way he's blessing his people So they're concerned. They're concerned about a departure. But they're more importantly concerned. Why are they concerned about the departure? Because them, 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 you know, Israelites in Egypt, them are taxpayers. (laughs) I don't know if that's how it worked back then, but, but that provided, I mean, could you imagine the infrastructure problem if we just cut off like half of our population? It doesn't matter what the population is. It doesn't matter whether it's, it's race or ethnicity or geography or where someone was from. Like if we as a, as a United States said half of our people, 
no longer matter. I don't know. They're kicked out of the – like the the economy would just absolutely crumble. It doesn't – I mean doesn't matter who it is. doesn't matter how you define them, define the people or the group. Every group of people that's that involved in that uh, part of the base is going to be a big problem. So they're concerned. They're concerned that the, that the Israelites will turn against them in battle. They're concerned that they'll leave, right? Notice in Acts 16, the same problem. Because people, what do they do? They think about themselves. The Pharaoh is thinking about himself in this situation, not even what's best for, I would argue, for his country. And it, but this happens in a couple of times in the book of Acts. In chapter 16, verse 16, and it came to pass as we went to prayer... And a certain damsel possessed with the spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. So the masters of this girl are actually profiting off of her demon possession. Whoa. Okay. But Paul, jumping to verse eight, 18 rather, but Paul being grieved turned and said to the spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. Why? Because he's focused on the individual. He's not focused on the value she brings to them. He's focused on the literal demon possession that she's got going on, the torment that she's got going on inside of her. And when her masters saw that the hope of their gains was gone, well, she can't tell the, she can't tell the future anymore. She can't do these crazy things anymore. Well, how am I going to make my money? Well, never mind the fact that this young lady who is a soul was being tormented. Let's not worry about her. They were only worried about themselves numero uno we see it again in acts 19 for a certain man named demetrius a silversmith which made silver shrines for diana brought brought no small gain under the craftsmen so this dude is contributing to the local economy and in verse 26 paul uh, this paul has persecuted and turned away much people saying that they be no gods which are made with hands so that not only this, our craft is in danger to be set at not. Oh, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana. Well, what's his priority? His money. That's the first thing that comes out of his mouth. Pro tip, when you're counseling, when you're dealing with people, people almost always share the, the most important things first. Not always, but almost, especially in a moment of, uh, of emotion, it, it comes out. And her magnificence should be destroyed. Like he, real, he may have literally realized that he was like, we're going to lose money. Oh, and Diana's going to look bad too, right? So he's not truly worried. I mean, he's not truly worried about truth. He's just worried about his pocketbook. The Pharaoh's doing the same thing. He's not worried about these millions of people, certainly hundreds of thousands of them. He's not worried about their soul. He's not worried about their well-being. Well, what if, what if we get attacked? They're going to turn on us. Well, maybe not if they felt like they were fellow citizens. Maybe not if you invested in them. I'm not saying that Egypt's a good place to be. I'm just saying from Pharaoh's perspective, he came down with a thumb as compared to embracing, right? Revelation. This is, this is amazing, and I'm glad it all fits here. This happens in the future with Babylon. Look at this. And the merchants of the earth shall weep and mourn over her. I added Babylon. They're mourning over Babylon. For no man buyeth their merchandise anymore. Wow. It's not really about what truth is. It's all about the mighty buck. The merchandise of gold, silver, precious stones, pearls, fine linen, purple, silk, scarlet, fine wood, 
um, manner of vessels of ivory and all manner of vessels of most precious wood and brass and iron and marble. All these things that are being sold, bought and sold, the economy, they're worried because that's going away, right? Uh, brass and iron and marble and, oh, I'm sorry, I read that, cinnamon, odors, ointments, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, beasts, sheep, horses, chariots, and, oh, slaves and souls of men. Like, that's literally how the evil views other people. Y'all are a commodity to them. You are a means to their end. That's how the way the world's going to view you. That's the way the world's going to treat you. And the response that we have, the response that we give in that situation sets us apart. It absolutely sets us apart. Brings us to our first victory. Uh, or, well, the concern, again, look at this, Second Peter 2, 3. And through covetous, they shall with feigned words make merchandise of you. Be careful what you believe about a politician. They don't care about you. They care about your vote and they care about your taxes. I, have, I think I've shared this a little bit. I've done some lobbying for our, business, for our, for our industry. So I work for a company that makes <laughs> artificial limbs and corrective braces. I believe it's an honorable profession. There are times when regulation gets wonky and we have to go to D.C. and we have to say, hey, this doesn't seem fair. This doesn't seem right. You've marginalized this group of people. Probably didn't think about it when you wrote the policy this way, but this is the way it happened. Help us out. Okay? That's the kind of lobbying I've done. All right? I have seen senator and congressmen and women's staff, their face turn when they realize I'm not a voter in their in – their, uh, I'm not a constituent. I'm not a voter in their district. Like they're on board. They're on board because I, re- I work for a company that's in almost every state. So I go to a lot of different and I represent X number of employees and Y number of patients in that state. I'm the mouthpiece because it's easier to fly one person to D.C. and have a lot of meetings than to fly 50 people, right? So, oh, they're totally on board. And where do you live? And I say Kansas City. Oh, okay. Well, I, I think we're just about done here. I mean, literally, they don't care. They don't care for you. Do not put your eggs in the basket of politics. Don't do it. Don't do it. They will literally, with feigned words, make merchandise of you. You are a means to their end. Now, you may agree with that end, right? There are some things on the Republican side I agree with. I hope they do. There are some things on the Democratic side that I agree with. I hope they do. But I'm not about to let them make merchandise of me. I mean, now, at the end of the day, I'm going to pay my taxes, and they are making merchandise of me. But I'm not, I'm not going to – I'm just, I'm just going to rise above it. So our victory principle number one, which you would fill in the blank if you had one, good people, believers, don't use others. They invest in others. Pharaoh was worried about what he could get out of the the nation of Israel, not what he could invest in the nation of Israel. You watch spiritual leaders, you watch pastors, you watch teachers. If you invest in them and they like that, and they get all big and their countenance change, run. Like, it is absolutely my goal to spend and be spent for you. 
like I don't want literally anything and I, and I think you know the heart. I don't want anything from you. I don't I I've joked about multiple times about getting a bonus for more people that come in or dock you know Sam docking my pay which I told him about outside he thought that was funny. Um <coughs> I don't like I get a little frustrated when Sam wants to to like take care of some aspect of ministry for me because like I can probably pay for it. I don't want the church to invest in me. I want, I know that sounds a little bad. I want to invest in the church. And if you, if you sit under a leader who thinks you're there for them, I'm telling you, run. I'm telling you, run. So the struggle the failed plot was this affliction. Their goal was to put their thumb down on the nation of Israel, which we see, again, spoiler alert, actually ends up causing them to multiply more. We'll see that in a minute. But this is how the lost man thinks. For wrath killeth the foolish man, and envy slayeth the silly one. That's how the lost man thinks. I think it's, is it, is it Michael's? Michael Scott. No, it was one of those one of those TV shows. Whatever you think you're supposed to do, to do the exact opposite. Seinfeld. Se- Seinfeld. Thank you. Whatever. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. It was uh, George, right? Yeah. Whatever you think is the right thing, just do the exact opposite, right? That's how. That's literally how a lost man thinks. Whatever they think is right, maybe we should just do the exact opposite. Wrath is cruel and anger is outrageous, but who is able to stand before envy? The wicked in his pride doth persecute the poor. Let them be taken in the devices that they have imagined. That's what, when the wicked think, ah, ha, ha, ha. I even probably shouldn't have started this message with, ha, 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 but I did. <laughs> That's literally, I, maybe if I could grow this out and get one of those mustaches, I could twirl. Is that, <laughs> yeah, you, you, you could probably pull that off, couldn't you? Uh, no, no. There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Like, man goes about it wrong. And and I'm not going to lie, even a spiritual man, a saved man that has the Holy Spirit inside of him, this one in particular, sometimes approaches decisions the wrong way. Now, I hope I'm not cruel. I hope I'm not divisive. I hope I'm not like mischievous in the way I, but sometimes the natural decision process is not what I should use. Like I should take a step back and be like, Lord, what do you want to have happen here? So affliction drove the children of Israel to God. And I'm sorry for the, the structure here on the slide, but Affliction drove the children of Israel. They cried, and their cry came up to God by the reason of their bondage in, in Exodus 2. And the Lord said, I've, I've surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt. I've heard their cry by the reason of their taskmasters. I know their sorrows. God's not aloof to what you're going through. That diagnosis, that job situation, that the family situation, the whatever it is, he, 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 he knows. But he, he hears your cries. Cry out to him. We cried unto the Lord, God our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice. Uh, did see, uh, he did see the affliction of their fathers in Egypt and heard their cry by the Red Sea, which obviously we'll get to. Even in Acts, in the, the accounting in Acts 7, and I, I, have seen, and I, I have seen the affliction of my people, which is in Egypt. God is not aloof to these things. The affliction drove the children of God 
or children of Israel to God. And now affliction is for a purpose. In our time remaining, we'll see that sometimes affliction, and you'll be like, wait a second, Dobson, now you're talking crazy. Affliction is for a purpose, and sometimes that purpose is for comfort. And you say, that seems contradictory to affliction. Affliction often means pain or discomfort. How is it supposed to bring comfort? Well, it's a spiritual solution. I don't know how, to, how else to say it. In Psalm 119.50, this is my comfort in my affliction. Thy word hath quickened me. O Lord, my strength, according to Jeremiah, my fortress, my refuge in the day of affliction. And why? I didn't include this in your notes, but 2 Corinthians 1.4. 2 Corinthians 1.4. God who comforts us in our tribulation that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. I, there, we have missionaries that we support this, from this church in uh, Belfast, Ireland. Their child was born, and I can't remember the condition, maybe know where their intestines are outside the body. Yes, yeah, so that thing. So the child was born with their bowels outside the body. It's a, I'm going to hate it. It's a relatively simple solution. I mean, they kind of push it back in. I don't know, medically, they do that, like doctors and stuff. But the kid, like if you saw him today, the kid's a pretty normal kid. He's growing fine. But the wife, the mom, the wife of the missionary, the, the missionary wife, the mom of this child is now leading a support group for kids that have that, families that have gone through that experience and those that are diagnosed with it before the delivery. And now they're using it for the glory of God. They're literally taking the comfort that they were comforted with and they're comforting others in, that, in their time of affliction. Like it's a real thing. That's a real thing. It's also for learning. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I've kept thy word. <laughs> there are times when God just, just educates us. Honey, don't touch the stove, it's hot. Don't, don't touch the stove, it's hot. Don't touch the stove, it's hot. Okay, I'm going to let him touch the stove. Maybe in a controlled environment, maybe it's less, whatever. I'm not into child abuse. My point is, Sometimes affliction over the word is what we need to understand what God's teaching us. And that stinks. And you say, well, that doesn't seem fair. Like, why didn't God try harder? My guess is he did in scripture and you weren't listening. I'm just going to be blunt or in, in preaching. Like, you didn't get it. Little Johnny didn't get it. The six times his parents said, don't touch the stove. But boy, he learned the lesson the hard way. It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. Sometimes we just have to go through crud so we see the perspective we need to see. It also allows us to connect to God, right? Like the children of Israel did in James 5, 13. Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is a situation come in your life that, that kind of seems ridiculous? Well, you got to... Sh- you, you literally have a bat phone to the creator of the universe. Pray. Pray about it. And it also refines us. 
for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh us for us a far more exceeding and eternal way to glory. The affliction that the children of Israel went through, and like I can't even imagine how bad it was, but the affliction that they went through played out for eternity. Played out for eternity. Also in 2 Corinthians, but in chapter 6, but in all things, approving ourselves as the ministers of God in much patience, in afflictions, in necessities, in distresses. Look, I mean, it's going to happen. It's going to happen if you're in the ministry. Actually, you know what? It's going to happen even if you're not. Like, affliction comes on people. It just happens. And in 2 Corinthians, uh, you know, obviously a a lot of context in 2 Corinthians is about affliction and the stress. How that in a great trial of affliction, of the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. Literally, the church of Macedonia, through their affliction, learned how to give more, how to be more of a blessing. Wow. Like, affliction has kind of a, I don't know, has kind of a purpose. And so it brings about a victory. Brings about a victory. Anybody notice anything slightly awkward about this picture? It's a, if you can't, I mean, I think you can perceive it's a nurse and a, I think kind of a, a, I can't tell if it's a, a young man or a young lady just from the angle and the longer hair, but anything stand out, jump out? <clears throat> huh? Is that a hair dryer? Or a light? Where? Here? Yeah. Here? Oh, yeah, that's actually a light. But you, I think you're missing the forest for the trees. It's an old picture. Like, look at the nurse. Like, I don't know what those things are called, but they don't wear those anymore, right? <laughs> Nurses d- generally don't dress like that. I don't know where this wallpaper stuff came from, but it needs to go away. So generally speaking, we don't put a lot of people in traction anymore. I actually learned how to put people in traction through my, through my education, right? I've got to be careful because the doctor's in the, doctor's in the house. So. <laughs> Not totally equivalent, but this is a young lady, maybe similar age, long leg cast, doing partial weight bearing. You know why they do that now? Because they've learned that stress in the bone, controlled amount, controlled pressure, actually causes the bone to grow better. Traction can actually be more of a problem. Certain cases, spines, we do a lot of traction, those sorts of things. So I, I want to I show you another picture. And this is maybe hard to, to see, but anybody know what this picture is from? A greenhouse. It looks like a greenhouse, but it's actually from biosphere number two. Oh, wow. <laughs> so years ago, they had biosphere one or biosphere, and then that kind of failed, and they did biosphere two, where they had tried to have a controlled environment. I think they were thinking maybe we we're going to have to populate another planet or something. So this is, a, this is a picture. I need to read this quote. Biosphere 2 is a research facility in Arizona built in the 1980s. The goal was to develop a completely enclosed environment capable of supporting human life with the idea that perhaps one day Biosphere, oh, I guess Biosphere 1 is the Earth, that would not be able to support human life. Or perhaps, related, humans would try to colonize another planet. The technology developed inside Biosphere 2 could be used in either case, 
Long story short, the research project failed because Biosphere 1, the, the world, is a highly complex and interconnected system which the researchers could not truly replicate. Many, many unanticipated challenges occurred, one of which involved the vegetation inside Biosphere 2. A wide range of vegetation was planted inside uh, Biosphere 2. The trees actually grew more quickly than outside the world, but then they would die off and collapse. And it was thought that the weathered patterns in bios inside Biosphere 2 were important. Biosphere could produce a gentle breeze, but it could not generate extreme wind, rain, or storms. It turns out that wind and storms are necessary for young trees to develop. During such weather, trees stretch and bend and develop a structure called stress wood, which allows for further bending and stretching during times of storm. It's a it turns out uh, the stretching and bending, it turns out, is vital for trees' healthy growth and development. Don't be a tree inside biosphere too. I mean, actually, it, it, it ain't going to happen. You're going to have affliction. You're going to have pressures of the world come upon you. It's just going to happen. It's just going to happen. But they're there to grow you closer in your relationship with the Lord. Be able to minister better. Like, embrace them. And I know that's, like, super easy for me to say up here. But the power goes out. And, and I, it's just, it happened today. The power goes out. You don't freak out and be like, oh, we got to cancel church. Like, you just learn to be flexible with it because you've been through a storm. And when the, when, the, when the man is trying to put their pressure on you, whether it's the boss, the government, you know, you know authority, other authorities in your life that maybe aren't doing the biblical thing, <coughs> guess what? God's using it to grow you. So the victory continues. The, the affliction literally releases the power of God in your life. It releases the power of God. Look at Psalm 34, 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord deliver him, delivereth him out of them all. He literally delivers you out of affliction. That's part of his role. What do you got to do? You got to. So one of the things we're going to talk about is when did the victory happen? When did the victory happen in the affliction? When they cried out to God. When they sought to lean into God rather than pull away from God, that's when the victory happened. And salvation, look at this. I mean, you probably think about it. I mean, certainly when you read Isaiah 53, 7, I mean, it talks about Jesus. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. He literally bore sin that we committed, that we were responsible for. He was afflicted. It released the salvation so it brings us to our last, our last point of the day. Victory principle number two. Despite your circumstances, drawing closer to the Lord is your only real option. It's the only one that's going to, be, going to be good. Pulling away from the Lord, saying, I don't want to be a child of Israel anymore. I'd rather not have the pressure I'm going to be like an Egyptian. Maybe would have gotten them under, out from underneath that, that pressure. I don't know. Running away, hiding, I, I don't know. The only option that's a practical option for you is leaning into your relationship with the Lord. Have you ever seen somebody walk into a strong wind? I mean, if they have to walk into a strong wind, they actually look a little funny doing it. If you've ever seen, like, watch the Weather Channel or something and they're, you know, trying to do the news report and 
and there's always some guy in the hurricane that's like <laughs> in the background that was, you know, but, but if it's really, really bad, what do they have to do, right? They have to lean into the wind when they walk. And, and I know you'll be like, Dobson, these are little kid illustrations. Then, then maybe you should have learned them before today. Maybe I should have learned them before this week. I'm not, I'm not, I'm really not trying to be trite or be mean. I, the, I'm walking you through what I've walked through over the last few weeks. Uh, the afflictions that we go through are meant to grow us, grow us closer. And some people have a really hard time wrapping their brain around that because they think God's mean. No, he's preparing you. He's growing you. He's teaching you. He's getting you ready for the next thing. Because afflictions are going to happen. There's sin in the world. There's pharaohs in the world that think afflicting you is better than the alternative. I pray that that you can see and that as we go through this, we'll see victory principles all through the book of Exodus because it's there. The Lord delivers his people. He prepares his people and delivers them out of affliction. Let's pray.